You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. What's up, y'all? It's producer Will Packer, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Keep it locked right here. I'm Tracy Heather Strain, director of Sighted Eyes Feeling Heart, the first featured documentary about Lorraine Hansberry, and you're listening to me on Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Tessa Thompson, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Sanaya Sydney, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, I'm Tommy Davidson. You're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. That's right. It exists. tuning into episode 159 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode features two fantastic women. In our very first segment, we interview actress Lashana Lynch. Lashana Lynch is playing the character of Maria Rambeau in the upcoming Marvel film, Captain Marvel. And we're excited to talk to her about her upcoming role in this big superhero flick. In our second segment, we interview filmmaker Chinonye Chuku. Chinonye is a filmmaker who is best known for her work in the Sundance Grand Jury Prize winning film, Clemency. Right before Sundance, I had a chance to talk to her on a one-on-one, and we briefly talk about what her process was in creating the film and how she came to do this story. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 159 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast with Lashana Lynch and Shinonye Chuku. Lashana Lynch is a British actress, best known for playing the leading role of Rosalind in the ABC period drama Still Star Crossed. You can now see her in the new film Captain Marvel, playing the role of Maria Rambeau, the mother of Monica Rambeau, who in comics was the second Captain Marvel. Take a listen to our interview with actress Lashana Lynch, featuring interviewer Kat Combs. I Carolina or Black Girl Nerds. How you doing? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yes, I do love this outfit. Thanks. I'm really enjoying it. I'm showing off this moon here because I, I just think it. it's fantastic. Do you mind if I put this right here? Of course not. Of course not. Ooh. Yay! <laughs> I'm really enjoying this is like not you know, it's not mine, so I I'm mean, enjoying it in all its going. You rock it quite well. Thank so. you very much. Very awesome. Thank you. So I'm gonna say I noticed you Ooh. in Still Starcross. <laughs> yes, so sad when that got put away. Yeah. But I was like, when am I gonna see you again? And lo and behold, MCU. What's this been like for you? It's been great. I mean, I've been working away in the UK. Like, mm-hmm. after that, I did um, a series, and I've done a couple of plays at the Royal Court, which changed my life. I've, like, 
I don't know, just worked a lot on like what kind of actor I want to represent in this industry, um, what I want to do for our community, just a lot of honing in. So I feel like nothing before it's time, you know, you do all that work and then suddenly this opportunity comes and you're like, I actually am ready. Um, but yeah, it's been a beautiful growth journey, which is nice. Okay. So speaking of your character, yes. what's, why is it so important, this relationship with Carol? Because we don't see it. Because we never get to really just focus on sisterly love. Um, it's always focusing on romantic love. And it's always romantic love between a man and a woman. And the, the woman always relying upon the men to, to uh, encourage her to like hold her space. And, and um, just relying on, on him to, to let her be and let her exist in this world. Um, I think that when women watch this movie... Well, I, if I was watching it as a fan, which the first half of watching it, I was like, I'm a fan, and suddenly my face was on the screen. Um, <laughs> you go like, that's me and my friend. Yeah. Whether it's, it's the friendship in its entirety, or if it's just little moments, you go, that's what me and my friends say, or that's the kind of friend that I would like to be. Mm-hmm. And actually just going through this process and, and representing that friendship with, with Brie, it's really helped me reevaluate the kind of friendships that I have and really... Um, develop the friendships that I that I know I want to develop in my life. Um, so yeah, it's important just for women to just have each other's back and support each other. And I think it's done so beautifully in the writing in this movie. I agree, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. High time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Time. <laughs> and like women have always been here. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's not as though we just like suddenly just fell from Mars and everyone's like they walk and they talk and they blink and they can use their voice. What? <laughs> I didn't know they actually had vocal cords in there. Um, we've always been speaking. I just think now that um, taboos are falling away slowly, we're able to kind of just have big conversations as a group mm-hmm. and say, I've been going through that too. I recognise that in, in me too. Um, so it's, it's enabled us to get to a place where this is going to be the norm. This is going to be like a classic movie for the younger generation, I think. They're not going to have to waste their brain power on on doing all the work that we've been doing all these centuries. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes, and I'm here for it, absolutely. Mm-hmm, me too, <laughs> me too. Speaking of the uh, absence of the male, mm-hmm. uh, your family dynamics with the daughter in the movie, how important was it for you to showcase that? It was important for me to, in my lifetime, represent a single mother, for sure, and a black single mother at that. Um, I know many. I've known single mothers since birth, and they've always been superheroes to me. And this movie allowed me to really just be vocal about how thankful I am for what they do in their life. Um, I hope that single mothers can watch it and think, oh, gosh, that's... That's good. I'm so. I'm just so happy that people recognise that I exist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Maria really, really is growing a young queen, and it's so apparent in how she communicates with her. Mm-hmm. She allows her to be her in all her glory. She allows her to to prance around in that beautiful, raw, curly Afro head of hair that she it. has, and she allows her to wear what she wants to wear and and be opinionated and use her voice. Um, so I wanted to create a Maria that would make sense for the Monica that we know she's going to grow up to be. Yes. She's been raised by a single mother superhero. She's inevitably going to turn into a superhero. I love it. That's mm. actually my next question. And so, like, Rambo is kind of like 
a big name in the MCU. Yeah. So, are there any details you can give us on Photon, aka Spectrum, kind of going into the MCU universe? I can't, you know. I'm sure it's being talked about, but I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything. I just know that she's badass and has always been, and and I know it's going to be a real a real treat for the actress that plays her because <sighs> because she needs to be here now. Mm-hmm. I think you know, especially with the the catalog of stories. That Marvel have under their belt. Yeah. I think they're using their time quite wisely. 2018 was perfect for Black Panther. Mm-hmm. 2019 is perfect for Captain Marvel. And I think in years to come, we're going to see these like the slow growth of, of Marvel connecting all the all of the stories and and allowing characters to just appear. Do you know what I mean? I'm really giving the fans what they want as well. I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we deserve it, man. We've been waiting. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we've been waiting. <laughs> The Black Girl Nerds podcast will be back in just a moment. Care of is a monthly subscription service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. Hopefully you're on top of those health goals this new year. But if you're still falling a little bit behind, it's not too late. Care of is a monthly subscription service that helps you focus on your goals, whether that's glowing skin, boosting your energy levels, getting more sleep, or just being generally healthy. You can build a vitamin routine that's custom made just for you and your personal health goals. Here's how it works. I actually gave this a shot myself. What I did was I went online. There's a quiz that asks you about your diet, your health goals, your lifestyle choices, and it's only just a few minutes. It's quick, easy, and convenient. And what they do is send you a box in the mail filled with individualized packets of the vitamins that you take on a daily basis. Quick, easy, and convenient. And I know it can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking. But Care Of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. Your personalized Care Of subscription box gets sent right to your door every month. Personalized daily packs, great for busy on-the-go lifestyle. And these vitamin supplement packs are customized to your recommendations to promote personal health and wellness. And you're also doing some good in the world. Every portion of the sale goes to the Good Plus Foundation, which provides expectant mothers in need with valuable prenatal vitamins. So, listeners of Black Girl Nerds, why don't you give this a shot? By listening to this podcast, you're going to get 50% off of your first month's order of Care Of. What you do is go to TakeCareOf.com, enter the promo code NERDS50 for 50% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins. That's TakeCareOf.com. Enter the promo code NERDS50. That's NERDS50. TakeCareOf.com. Enter the code NERDS50. And you're going to get 50% off of your first month of Care of Vitamins. So go on. Take care of yourself. So, off screen, what was the training like for this, for this role? Um, I gym anyway, so it was nice to just like have an excuse to get that that extra ab that you've been looking for that like you sure was behind there somewhere and now suddenly you're able to like see maybe a shadow of it um so that was cool um but what was the most coolest thing was training with these two female fighter pilots um I spent two days with them at Luke Air Force Base and um 
They literally showed me everything I need within two days, which is like the best crash course in fire pilot <laughs> training ever. Uh, they, yeah, so I went through all of the like the usual safety stuff, yeah. and then the next day they were like, right, so we're gonna get in the F sixteen. I thought, sure, I could, I could do that. I'm not actually flying it though, right? <laughs> And I got in and it was the best experience of my life, honestly. Pulling G's just gave my, my whole body and my whole soul a, like, uplift. Um, because I was able to really feel, like, really know what it felt like for Maria to get strength from the training that she had. Mm-hmm. Really know what it feels like for a woman to be in a male-dominated environment and hold her own. Mm-hmm. Really come out of the plane and be like, I'm still strong. I didn't throw up. I'm going to go to the gym after this. I feel badass. I am actually a real life superhero. And I'm going to let everybody know. <laughs> um, so it felt great. Um, I didn't have to do anywhere near the amount of training that, that Brie had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like the fighter pilot training allowed me to create the Maria that I, that I wanted to portray on the, in the movie. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, on that note, what aspects of yourself did you kind of bring to the character? Um, I felt like a strong vulnerability was something that I really wanted to ensure that Maria had. So I wanted to smash the, 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 the misconception that in commas, the strong female needs to be strong all of the time. Every single part of her, every facet of her is strong, even when you're having a crap day. So I wanted her, um her grieving of Carol to to be something that she used in order to find strength, in order to raise Monica in the right way. I wanted her to use um, her not being a fighter pilot anymore and how that feels and having the training in your body but not being able to like use it daily. I wanted that to be something that she always has at the forefront of her mind. Um, so in, in me putting myself in Maria, I guess I just... Um, used my upbringing I wanted her to be a real authentic black woman for modern times and I think that she represents just the woman that I see when I open my door in the morning Mm -hmm. which I rarely see on screen do you know what I mean and we're seeing it more and more every day now in the industry um but I just I just wanted to be authentic and I wanted to also give my friends a slice of themselves on screen Mm -hmm. I have such good friends I'm really grateful for the women that I have in my life they represent so much um but as the black woman in the world today um I feel like all we want is just just to hear us roar do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. in in every way possible and I think that Maria roars in such a way that even when she's roaring inside and she's silent and looking at you in a certain way you're like that's that black girl look that I know <laughs> is speaking volumes, <laughs> but not saying anything at all on the surface. Do you know what I mean? I um, yes. <laughs> basically, it's that it's that mother raw, mm-hmm. the raw that our mums gave us that that was passed down <laughs> from generations. Exactly. Um, and and there's a moment in the movie where Maria Monica's Monica wants something, she says mum, and then Maria goes and she does that. I don't know how you would write that in your article, but TSK, like four, five times. Yes. And it just felt, re- I actually went and called my mum afterwards. I was like, I did you in the movie today. That little, I love it. I ain't got, you ain't got to let me tell you twice. <laughs> I did that. And it was important for me to show 
the kind of discipline that Monica comes from. Mm-hmm. I wanted to set up Monica, really. I wanted, I want the future Monica, people to see the future Monica and think back and go, oh, I see how she ended up that way. Her mum's a queen. Of course yeah. she's going to turn out to be a strong queen. And that's a great, I guess, kind of motherly thing to do, like, for your character, for you, for anyone. Yeah, like, yeah. For sure. And in the 90s, like, having a mum who was a black fighter pilot, I mean... <laughs> Monica's all right. She really didn't need need the dad around. Like she just needed her mum to just live in her truth, and I Absolutely. think that's what she's passed down to Monica for sure. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yes, agreed. yes. I'm excited to see what becomes of that character. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. She's gonna be amazing no matter what. Absolutely. Marvel are doing a great job in introducing her in the, um, in her young form, mm-hmm. and it's gonna be a nice surprise for us to see how she grows. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice to see, finally see a child grow in the Marvel yes. Universe. That's yes. really refreshing, actually. Yeah. Um, and to see parents, because you rarely see that. Very um, true. How does a superhero become a superhero? They must have the qualities in the family somewhere, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm. Last, okay, last oh, cool. question. <laughs> yeah. So the film takes place 1995. Yeah. Is there something from the 90s that you would want to bring back? Music. Please, God, music. I feel like that was my best time. I'm an 80s baby, so I had all of the 90s music in my repertoire. And I used it daily mm-hmm. when I was creating Maria because it just kind of helped me to enter that era. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that long ago, but I feel like music has changed so much. Some of it is like the best in the world. And some of it, I'm like, if we could tap into the past, that'd be fab. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I would bring back, I would bring back 90s R&B and mm-hmm. live my best life forever. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like my go-to Spotify playlist. Is it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Name one person. I mean, Aaliyah. Yes. TLC. I can go TLC, on. TLC, <laughs> SWV, 702. Yes. Oh my word. Um, Jade. Yeah. Sheesh. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody. It's so. one thing I noticed in the film, like the soundtrack for sure. Oh yeah, it brings you right back, it doesn't does. it? Brings you right <laughs> back. That was really cool. Um let's see if we have another nineties Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. They've got so much to work with, so that'd be very exciting. Nostalgia of it all is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Fully. Takes you back. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank Tashana. you. Pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to meet you too. <laughs> Oh, best Great. of luck with everything. Thank you. I appreciate it. Of course. You too. Chinoye Chuku is a Nigerian-born, Alaskan-raised screenwriter, producer, and director. A recipient of the prestigious Princess Grace Award, Chinoye's short The Dance Lesson premiered at the Ritz Theater of Philadelphia. But this year at Sundance was her biggest accomplishment. She won the Grand Jury Prize Award over at Sundance for her film called Clemency, starring actress Alfre Woodard and Aldous Hodge. The film was recently bought for distribution by the company Neon and will have a theatrical release. This interview actually took place before Sundance and before I had a chance to screen Clemency, so we don't go too deep on what the film is actually about, but more about story concept and process. Take a listen. Can you give our uh, readers kind of an elevator pitch of what the film Clemency is all about? Sure. So Clemency is, it follows a prison warden's emotional and psychological down spiral as she prepares to execute a man on death row. 
and Alfre Woodard plays the warden, and uh, one of the men who the film focuses on, who's on death row, is played by Aldous Hodge. And as you mentioned, this is a film that's viewed through the lens of a prison warden, which oftentimes we don't see those kinds of stories. So why did you want to center the narrative over this kind of character? Well, I was really inspired to tell this story from this perspective the morning after Troy Davis was executed in a Georgia state prison. And so Troy Davis was a black man executed on September 21st, 2011. And leading up to his execution, hundreds of thousands of people around the world were protesting against his execution, including a handful of retired wardens and directors of corrections. And that group of individuals, the wardens and directors of corrections, um, were from around the country. And they wrote a letter to the governor urging for clemency on the grounds of not just Troy's potential innocence, but also because of the emotional and psychological consequences they could talk about from firsthand experience, they knew that executing Troy would have on the prison staff. So the morning after he was executed, many, many people around the world were feeling a lot of things, including myself, right? Sadness, anger, frustration, trying to make sense of this. And then I thought to myself, well, if so many of us are navigating these kind of complexities of emotions, what must it be like for the people whose livelihoods are tied to the taking of life? What are those emotional and psychological consequences those retired wardens and directors of corrections were speaking of? And that really was the seed that that was planted. In addition to the Troy Davis uh, case, were there any other cases that inspired you when you were creating this story? No. So, I mean, I I do want to be clear that this is not an autobiographical story. This is not based on any real characters or cases. And this is not even about a case. Like, we actually don't, this is not a case-driven story at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really, I did, I spent several years, about three and a half, four years, talking with many, many, many wardens and retired wardens and directors of corrections and chaplains and men on death row and men who were exonerated from death row and women who are incarcerated and women who were who, who were re- recently released and death row lawyers and um, all kinds of people on on it, it, who, who are kind of part of this ecosystem of incarceration um, over the years and I volunteered on clemency cases and um, I, that and that really informed my research and I, I visited several prisons and talked to several men on death row in different facilities and so those are, that's the, that kind of research is what really informed the narrative. Well, talk to us about that. You you spoke to many inmates who were on death row, serving decades long sentences for crimes that um, oftentimes they claim they were innocent of. Can you share with us what that experience was like? Well, it really expanded my capacity for empathy, for not defining people by the worst possible acts. I mean, there are many people who are incarcerated, who are guilty of certain crimes. And, uh, you know, my approach to making clemency was that this is not an innocence or guilty case. Um, This is really about humanity. And so talking with, talking with a lot of the people that I, that I spoke with about the project um, who are incarcerated or who were incarcerated, it was, it, it, it was a really humanizing experience. I mean, it was, and it was hard. It was really challenging and it's not easy everybody you know um but i realize that but i understand that you know but yeah so it was not easy to humanize everybody but it 
in, in talking with all of these people, it, 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 they really made me see that we are all more connected than, than I think that we'd like to we like to think particularly to this ecosystem of incarceration and I think it's easy to discard people or write people off who have been incarcerated or who are incarcerated um, but through this experience of this multi-year journey of talking with a lot of different people and researching and spending a lot of time with people who are incarcerated it has really um, helped me to develop more empathy and a more humanizing sense of justice and mercy. Without giving too much away uh, about what the film is, um, the message the film is going to send to us, I'm curious to know, is this film going to sort of help us empathize and understand the perspective of the life of a prison warden? Or is it meant to sort of encapsulate and kind of capture the emotion and empathy, if you will, with respect to prisoners themselves? I think that it will inspire people to see, feel, and connect to the ecosystem of humanities that, that, are, connect, that are connected to incarceration. I think that it will inspire people to see, feel, and think about the humanities, all of the different humanities that exist within prison walls. Can you tell us about your organization, Pens to Pictures? Yeah, so um, through my research, I really developed a passion for advocating for the humanity of people who are incarcerated and the stories of people who are incarcerated. Um, and uh, through working, through volunteering on a Clement, one of the clemency cases I volunteered on, I spent I was spending a lot of time talking with different women incarcerated in a Dayton maximum security prison. And I've been a film professor for over a decade helping people tell their stories. But when I was talking with these with the different women who were incarcerated in Dayton, I looked around and I realized that a lot of their stories would never leave prison walls. And so I just kind of, you know, said to myself, well, my, my ability to help people tell their stories shouldn't be consigned to the privileged walls of a college classroom. So I just had this idea to condense the screenwriting, directing, production courses that I've taught over the years into a one-year curriculum where I worked with women who are incarcerated and taught them screenwriting, directing, production basis, basics and helped them write their own original scripts and connected them to local community artists for the, uh, so they can make their own original short films from script to screen. And they did it, and they're great, and we screened them around the country. Now all the, the women in the inaugural group of Pens to Pictures are out and have continued to screen the film around the country. That is beautiful. That's an amazing organization. I, I hadn't heard about it until reading up on your work. So um, what a blessing you are to, to those in individuals in the, uh, in the prison industrial complex. Thank you for doing that. I understand also um, this character, and I kind of want to know a little bit more because it, it is centered around Bernadine Williams, played by Alfre Woodard. Can you tell us a little bit about who she is and what we can expect to see from her character? She's a woman who has spent, has built a career um, having to emotionally detach and cut off a part of herself that makes her human in order to do her job. I think that prisons are a very dehumanizing space and in order to exist in one, work in one, um, you have to yourself internalize that kind of dehumanization. And so we enter the story with Bernadine in that place of having done that for many years 
And so what we'll see in this character in Alfrey's brilliant performance is a woman who is who's really struggling with that. And she's very emotionally contained because she has to be in order to do her job. But what we'll see are is Alfrey's very nuanced, um, contained ways that she shows this character on the cusp of a breaking point in ways that are not melodramatic, in ways that are not over the top, which I think is what we tend to expect from prison, American prison dramas. And so I think that that's really part of the brilliance of Alfie's performance, that she says so much without verbalizing a thing. Yeah, she's perfect at that. So I'm, I'm really excited to it's see. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, I'm so <laughs> thrilled to see what she brings because I just, I love her in everything she's in from when she's just playing oh, sort of these. See this movie. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm oh excited. It's, I mean, Alfrey Woodard in this film gives us a master class of acting. Mm. She's brilliant. That's saying a lot. That's that's amazing. I, I really look forward to it. <laughs> my my last question to you is: um, What are your goals with feature films? Do you wish to tell more stories about prison inmates and and sort of follow along the social justice work that you're currently involved in? Well, I I want to tell all kinds of stories across genres. I mean, I, I am a storyteller. And I am, I am drawn to unique character-driven stories with nuance that are from unique perspectives. And that could be an action film, that could be a, a dark drama, that could be a romantic comedy, but I'm really interested in perspective. I'm also really interested in humanizing uh, interesting characters who happen to be, who are played by, by, by black women and other women of color and who don't have to explain their existence in the narrative. You know, oftentimes when we do have a black female protagonist, for instance, in films that her narrative is solely defined by her race and gender. And so what I'm really excited about uh, in Clemency and in and, and, and future films that I make is that this is a character who is, yes, a black woman, but her narrative is not solely defined by her race and gender. She has a full, complicated, humanizing story that is at the forefront of the film and we are not you know whitewashing her identity at all but we are saying that she is she is a composite of many human pieces and we really get to let her stand in that in this film and follow her and be with her and see her really see her so i'm excited to do that and i hope to do more of that you know, and in, 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 in across subject matters and genres. Well, I hope to talk to you again in your next big feature film. Um, I'm I'm really excited about this. I'll be Thank at the you. premiere. Um, so, and I know that this is in oh, competition. Yay. Yeah. So I just I wish you all the best. I, I really look forward to seeing this type of story. Thank we don't you. see these stories that often, and um, I, I think the work that you're doing is very important. So thank you for that. Thank you so much, and thank you for your work, and thank you for Black Girl Nerds and, and supporting and affirming Black women and girls, particularly Black female artists, so much appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I hope I get a chance to run into you at Sundance this week. Likewise. Likewise. Travel safe. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye.
The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Spotify.